Welcome to Between Two Curators, the podcast where two friends and, well, curators discuss art, life, and what, or rather, who inspires them. I'm Jen. And I'm Cliff. Uh, and in this episode, we're joined by a lovely, wonderful human being, and that's Samantha Holdsworth, uh, who's an educator, producer, a facilitator. Um, she's co-founder of Nimblefish Arts and founder of Clowns Without Borders uh, in the UK. Uh, welcome, Sam. Hi, welcome, you. Sam. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for being here virtually. Yeah, it's the modus operandi these days. Well, um, you've got such a packed, um, well, CV in a way, a packed life is what you have. <laughs> um, uh, quite a few different hats. Um, mm. But let's let's jump straight in with Nimble Fish, mm. which is uh, quite a interesting uh, organization. You you bring together theater, education, um, community engagement, um, but seem to operate in a number of different ways. Uh, could you tell us a bit about, uh, about Nimblefish? Yeah. So we, I, I work with Nimblefish with Greg, Greg Klertz, and he's a writer and my background is in theater directing and producing. And we started off uh, working in schools and looking at how we could uh, promote creativity and risk taking in yeah through the arts and then that led to people coming towards us and asking uh, could you help produce uh, community work arts-led community work and then that's when we started to think about how we could bridge the gap between the cultural sector and the arts and, uh, yeah, com very community-driven, community-facing work. And this was sort of early 2000s, maybe, when that really wasn't happening. And we were thinking about how we could take the arts and put them uh into accessible venues, whatever that might mean. So we did a lot of site-specific work in communities, but also how can we support communities to make their own work and co-construct their own stuff? So we did work in the streets in a lovely town called Pitsy. We did work in um, Basildon with children doing a project there. And the... The energy is the, the idea is always the same to work through the arts with people who wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, I'm an artist or I want to work in the theater sector and going, what can we create using this, this yeah, medium, whether all of the arts, whether it's writing or drama or dance or uh, videography, whatever it might be. And let's just play and, and see what happens. And mm. I think we are really trying to encourage people to be less intimidated maybe by some of the uh, bigger institutions. Oh, that isn't for me. That, that's, I don't know people who go to the theatre. That's not for me. And thinking more deeply about yeah. what does it look like when everyone's allowed to play or everyone can come and play. And that that's kind of always drives the kind of heart of our work. I think it's really beautiful what you're saying about the sense of playfulness and the lack of intimidation and the fact that it is for everyone. Um, I mean, 
It resonates because when people have asked me, like, oh, why are you in art? I mean, it's a different form of art. It's more visual arts. But I say it's one of the most empathetic mediums by which you can communicate, mm. right? And you can exchange. Um, and doing that in community groups where you might not even think about art as that um, is it's so beautiful. And I get a sense of play even from the name alone. I, I just had to ask, <laughs> what was the origin of the word nimble fish? <laughs> um, we, when Greg and I set up Nimble Fish, we said, like, our driving strategy was, if it's not fun, we're not going to do it. So mm. we so we were thinking, what? We were coming up with names, and I wanted, I can't remember, something monkey. Uh, and <laughs> I, can't, like, I can't remember, but it was way cooler than Nimble Fish. And, and Greg was like, no, Sam, that's just not going to work. And so uh, as a compromise he came up with nimble fish and so that was born and it and it is come it's the spirit of uh playfulness but also we were mindful of like we don't want to be in one box we don't want to be yeah we are producers or we are community artists it it what is what is this hybrid thing that we're doing okay our name needs needs to reflect that and and the agility uh, and flexibility with which we work is kind of embodied in that name. But really, it was like, okay, that's a fun name. That was just, just yeah. <laughs> I'm retrospectively making it. <laughs> right. Which is really how all names should should come to fruition. Yeah. It's a good name. Right? Yeah, for sure. And, and um, Samantha, how do the... Um, how do the projects that you take on board uh, come to be? Because they vary so much. I mean, whether it's a, a, a production, like a theater production or a, um, I'm, I'm thinking stage based, but of course it's not formal, that formal, but um, whether things are um, created with uh, directors or people who come to you with ideas or is it something that you see a need for in a community or a specific group of people that you then try and do a bit of matchmaking? You know, I think when you are really committed to, say, a vision, we know that we want to to work in communities to embolden or support or encourage people to engage in the arts in different ways. When you really kind of are committed to a vision and you don't, you sort of, if you like, hold your own with that. What we found over time is people came to us because because they recognized mm. perhaps funders recognized oh we know we want to do this but we're not sure how to do it and yeah and so so often i mean we i mean what a what a, what a great thing to be able to say often funders come to us and say we know we want to do this and and can you, what might that look like? And then, so for example, like the project project in in Pitsy in the community was, uh, I think it was the East of England Development Agency. We know we want to engage the community. How would we do that? And then they would come up with um, less interesting ideas, and we would go, "Well, let, why don't we ask the people <laughs> that are going to be involved, and they're going to come up with some amazing ideas?" And and I think it it. it it's that. And, and to be fair, this is like, yeah, things have changed so, so much. I mean, there's still a long way to go, but, but over the last even 10 years in terms of what co-construction with community looks like, um, and with the container, which is when we did a, a show in a 40 foot Arctic lorry, um, 
that was that again was a uh, through creative partnerships actually we scheme a long time ago and they said oh we've got a feeling about this what could it be we want to do this stage play about human trafficking we were like let's not do that let's put it in a lorry be- like let's what does that mean like because it, it, it's more interesting it's less interesting to do a show in a theater for us because yeah. if the chances are a show about human trafficking in a theater the demographic at the moment is it's liberal white middle class people going to the theater what is it to 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 put it in a venue who else might come what could we have better conversations yeah. by rethinking where theater can happen and then on the back of that, because of the way that we work, rather than here's a show, we then were like, well, what, what's the supporting uh, structure around it? Can, can we offer um, workshops with the writer or with the performers? Or is there a, a, a resource or packaging that, that will encourage different kind of conversations with different members of the community? And so we, we, we took the, the, the play to other areas and that's the great thing about when you're doing something in a in a lorry you can choose where you want to go maybe all theaters <laughs> should move. be in a lorry right and then you just go oh I'll just go here for tonight who wants to come i think what's really interesting is i mean i've thought about this in the context of exhibitions but it's making something happen in a non-UFO effect manner. Mm. So not just removing it, plonking it, saying, hey, go enjoy, ingest it. It's actually taking it, integrating it. And rather than just presenting the the work, you're doing these workshops so that there's little forms of connection too, right? So there's a context um, around it. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot. So yeah, I I really feel that. And actually, I wanted to ask you, just moving slightly from Nimble Fish, but like, how did you first get involved with social change more broadly? I mean, just to ask a, a big question. Um, well, I did, I, I wanted to be a theatre director and I, um, yeah. so I did, I, did, I did an MA at Central, the first MA or the second MA in directing that they'd done. And it was wildly experimental. They were like, here's some money each term and go and make a show. Bye-bye. And <laughs> it was amazing. It was so, so amazing. But we, it was very, very experimental. And then we spent a lot of time, there was a lot of nudity on stage, a lot of newspapers, a mm. lot of water. So the usual that you have to evolve through. <laughs> and I was like, oh, right, I'm going to do like experimental theatre. And then I left and I was like, mm, okay, how am I going to earn some money? And I started, I got two jobs, one as a, uh, as a drama teacher at a pupil referral unit, which is when children are excluded, young people are excluded from school, and one in Kilburn with, in inverted commas, at-risk young people te- uh, doing drama facilitation. And when I was in the... Uh, pupil referral unit. Th- these are young people where who it sort of feels like the world has given up on them already, and they might be thirteen or fourteen. Mm-hmm. They don't have one. You know, a couple of the students they don't have permanent addresses. They're couch surfing, and by the time they get to the third address, there's no way of necessarily tracking them. They, the, the state can't track them. They don't know where they are, 
or one of the students was always asleep in the session. And I spoke to the head, the, the coordinator. I said, like, "Oh, what, what should I do?" And and he said, "Oh well, uh, he some family members are, are are dealers, so he doesn't get to sleep a lot at night because there's a lot of trade happening. So we let him sleep in in the in the classroom just to to kind of catch up a bit." And coming from this very, what it suddenly felt wildly indulgent, kind of, I'm just going to mess around. And make some work too. Working yeah. with children who probably won't going to are not certainly the young people I was working with would not enter back into the education system. And so, who's taking care of them? And all you know, all children lack rights. You know, they can't vote. Yeah. They, you know, the phrase "seen and not heard" you know exists. These guys are so powerless over their own futures, probably through no fault of their own. And all of a sudden, I was like, "This, this is this is not this is this is horrific." That what what I didn't know about that. Was, what are we gonna What are we gonna do? And so this awakening around, well, what can the arts do? What can I do? And and really, all I could do was create a space where maybe if I was lucky in the 45 minute session, there would be three minutes of play where these very, uh, these incredible young, it was all men, young men, um, who were like, I'm not doing anything. This is I'm not, I don't want to play. Might just play an exercise for three minutes. And there was suddenly the facade dropped and they were young people again, not, and children, and not all, with all of the protected kind of armor around them. And you glimpsed that, oh, they're allowed to, they're giving themselves permission to have a good time. And, and there, there was like, okay, this is, what, this is what the arts can do. The arts can yeah. unlock something through, you know, maybe like in a very subtle way and give people permission to be something else. And and from that first experience, I mean, gosh, it was really, really hard. I was I was wildly unequipped. And some might say you I would need high levels of training. But this was like 2002. Maybe no one cared then. But it was it was the beginning of everything for me. Wow, what a that's a massively inspirational um, story, Samantha. Yeah. And, mm, and sounds completely formative and mm. uh I mean, what's what's great about that and the, the way that you have been thinking about um, working with people and younger people uh, is uh, how how universal uh, this is. I mean, it's a it's a huge global issue, and I really admire the fact that you're sort of one person at a time and it's individual engagement. But um, really, you know, this is something that that we can and should be doing across the entire um, across the entire planet, globe, mm. and you, you've. Um, you're of course based in the UK, but you've worked in what, India, Brazil, Kenya, Lebanon, mm. Philippines, Zimbabwe. I mm. mean, the list keeps going and going. Mm. Um, and, I, and I wonder how you um, how you balance that, that kind of uh, ambition, global ambition, interest um, in making you know real change in, in places all around the world, um, but taking it taking it slowly and, and one step at a time, so that you can make a really sort of considered. Uh, change in, in an individual's life. Yeah. And I think in my, it, that was, if you like, in the beginning of my career, the only uh, change I could make, 
Like I wasn't, I didn't feel I had much um, power, if you like. And all I, what I could offer was um, creating a space and inviting people to, to come in and play if they wanted to. And I think, um, so when I was working in, in India, it was part of a British council um, scheme to look uh, working with uh, a charity with, with people affected by leprosy. So working with children affected by leprosy and, um, and just asking them, I'm here, what, you're, you're here, what would you like to do? And even yeah. that question, it, like I, I, I'm always surprised at how radical that question is. When asking children, what would you like to do? How would you like to do this? Mm. And it can be very problematic to the hierarchical structures that might be around um, certain Mm. children or within certain cultures. And they can, you know, you're in potentially, you know, wherever you're working in the world, even in the UK, potentially dangerous territory when you ask children what they want to do. Yeah. Because they might not, yeah. They might not do want to do what what's prescribed for them, and I think uh, the arts. It's like give permission in a way. Say, like, oh well, they're just they're just messing about. They're just making a show, or they're just like dancing. How dangerous can that be? Or so there's there's a, they kind of like you can get away with doing uh, stuff because people aren't really taking it. Pe- noticing and I think I, I, I think again with with the way that I, I like to work and it reminds me a lot of of when when I was in Brazil working with young offenders saying to those guys um you know I see you and you create and, I, and this mm. isn't just me like all great all, all practitioners do this is is you create a space where it's like, I see you in this space right now. And what shall we do together? You're not the young offender. You're not this. You're not that. You're not that. We're just in this space as equals together. And in this moment, what do you want to do? And believing and trusting that moment. And that's the job. That's it. The rest will come from, from your participants. And I think that's such a different approach. And I'm wondering... Obviously, it comes from you as a person and the way that you approach your interactions. But maybe, maybe it was also, and I, I, I don't know, maybe was it something that you saw big, you know, charities, a charities, maybe something that they weren't doing, and it was something that you could bring that was different to the table. Um, and it's not something that's you know in competition. We're not talking about that, but it's just a different approach. Yeah, and I, I think this is this the path has led me towards. Uh, clowns without borders so a bit like a bit like stepping into a the complex needs of of children who who've been permanently excluded from school and just feeling my way through it is that's a bit like clowns without borders so so when I was like oh cool that sounds like a great idea and I didn't I didn't realize at that moment what I was saying yes to was setting up a, a, <laughs> an international humanitarian charity at all with clowns didn't cross my mind I was like oh I've done some producing I believe as arts as a catalyst great and the more I was in 
uh, asked to be in disaster zones to share clown performances as part of emotional respite for children. The more uh, it would be, it was really hard not to question the systems around me. So uh, Mm. big NGOs say like they say that job is to save lives and it's incredible. And, And when you're in a disaster, it's like, it's like a, they throw down a carpet and all of the systems and structures pop up. And it's, it's, it's incredible. The preparedness is what rest, saves these people. But those systems yeah. can be very intense for the people who receive them, who are uh, in trauma, grieving, in loss, bewildered, and baffled. And so the questioning nature of the arts or, or people who work in the arts will certainly... In, in clowning is, is this the right structure? And as outliers, which often artists are, and clowns, you're non-threatening. So we can ask quite difficult questions of how are, how are children having agency in this process? How are, how are children being supported to take, to make decisions? And so what what actually has started as, oh, this is about emotional relief and, and sharing performances with children is about can we, can the clowns change humanitarian aid? And, and I love that, right? Because it's so ridiculous. Only a clown could, only, only the medium of clowning could be like, yeah, I know, guys. Let's reinvent the way aid is delivered to children. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do that. And so <laughs> that's what, that's what yeah. we're trying to do. I mean, it's a, it's just um, you know an, an amazing ethos for an organization. So you set up you set this up in the UK yeah. in 2014, yeah. And um, you you use humor, laughter, play those yeah. all those things that you talked about before from um, the 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 previous interests and organizations and productions that you've been involved in. Um, those all get uh, uh, filtered through and presented by clowns, and you you take these uh troops essentially Mm. to disaster zones uh places that are receiving humanitarian aid um and you you engage with whatever is happening on the ground there um i I packaged that i probably mispackaged it but um is is that is that pretty much pretty much it because it's it's (laughs) absolutely amazing yeah when you say like that it's like oh my god that sounds really ridiculous that's how oh my god but yeah that is what happens (laughs) so (laughs) So, so after Typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines, uh, uh, NGO said, we want to create some respite for some of the communities affected. Mm. And, uh, and we need to do that now. And can you, can you guys come and do some shows and some, some workshops? And uh, so we went into one community, we did our show, and um, look, it's not a panacea, and it's really important to say that. Um, but we were doing the performance, and uh, and I was working as a clown, and we saw the these mothers crying, and I was like, "Oh my word, this is wildly inappropriate." We need, you know, we need to apologize. We need to stop. Got to the end of the show, and spoke to our translator, and we, we went up to the women, and they said, "Oh no, we're not crying." because this is inappropriate and horrible and we don't want you to be here. We're crying because it's the first time we've seen our children laugh since the oh disaster. Wow. Mm. And, and it's, again, it goes back to what can the arts do? 
and it drew the community together in a positive moment, a shared experience, which, you know, with our current context, I think all of us are really, really feeling and know, understanding viscerally how important those big shared moments are where the yeah. community could see each other, have a different emotion just for a moment. It's not saying that it, it solves everything or that uh, the other emotions aren't useful or important, but something else is allowed to happen just, just for, for now. And the children, sometimes, I saw this in Nepal after the earthquake as well, the children sometimes are larger than life, even bigger than life, because it's a, a big emotional response, almost like through the laughter and the play afterwards, because we hang around, they're expelling some of the emotion in the way that children mm. do. And um, that, yeah, it, it's when I, I do that, I, it, when I remember that those experiences, that's what helps me continue to work in this sector, which is extremely uh, challenging and uh, bureaucratic and complex. But sometimes it's just as simple as going to the children, you know, I see you, I care about what happens to you, let's play, even in these crazy circumstances. And that's really what Clowns Without Borders is offering. Um, that's a, absolutely uh, a, a, amazing, amazing work um, that you do, Samantha. Uh, and um, this, this sort of strength of character from from yourself, but also everybody that has to be out there. Um, yeah, I think incredible. What's, yeah, what's what's great about humor, and in, in particular uh, clowns, um, uh, is that the 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 comedy and the engagement. We we're already saying art is empathetic, but mm. that uh, clowns. It's also a very a bodily humor. It's a very embodied humor, and it's participatory. Um, and on the one hand, it's it's a little disarming as such. But on the other, it kind of it means you can kind of let go of a lot of things and be in the moment, um, at least for a moment. Mm. Yeah. Oh, look, here are the idiots. Cool. We can do something else. <laughs> like this isn't a this isn't a life or death moment. These idiots are here, and I therefore I, maybe you hope it gives permission for other people to just have a moment of oh, okay, I don't have everything together. I can just be here and 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 take part and. I think as we've as, we, as we've evolved now, we know like we are, are making sure that the work is with local artists as well, who obviously are way funnier than we are, and um, know, know what makes their communities laugh. So it's yeah, what in in it's interesting. I suppose the bigger question is: is there a role for arts in every setting? So in humanitarian disaster, in hospices, in you know, really complex emotional situations. What is the role of the arts? And and I, in particular, I'm thinking of the playful way the arts, uh, the playfulness of the arts encourages. And I'd be so curious to know, how, like a big longitudinal meta study of all of the different ways the arts are using complex yeah. human scenarios. That's that can be the next project for the clowns. Yeah. I'm <laughs> I love that. I feel like that. I'm gonna. That's gonna send me down a whole other rabbit hole. I love to go down my rabbit holes and learn more. Um, but Samantha, we loved having you with us so much today, and we like to usually finish off yeah. by asking a question. Um, and the question is, what creative inspiration do you have for our listeners? I think that in our current scenario, 
the most important thing anyone can do right now is dance. And I would suggest that that needs to be every day. And so may, oh, a dance <laughs> party. But I would I would encourage mainly with members of your family that are not not online, like be in your body, find your cheesiest tunes and dance it out. Get embodied, get out of your head. Um, the, the kind of wilder, the better. So I love it. Yeah. So I think please my, yeah, my invitation to everyone is have a dance party in your kitchen. The, the, and if you like the greatest showman, I'd highly recommend that as the back, the background music. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. We all enjoy being, being in our bodies. Uh, Thanks so much for that. Samantha, where can we find out more about um, the the different organizations that you're involved with? You can go to Clowns Without Borders. And if you fancy uh, .org.uk, and if you fancy being a bit more embodied or working with the children through play, uh, you can sign up to Clown Camp. So that's we, we've, we've done this, some free online stuff for children to create their own clown show and bring laughter into their own houses. And you can find out more about Nimblefish at uh, nimblefish.co.uk. Amazing. Thank you so much for explaining all of that wonderful and inspirational uh, work to us. Um, it's great to have had you, had you here today. Thank yes, you, thank guys. You. And I look forward to seeing you <laughs> dancing in your kitchens. Oh, you've got it. You've got it. <laughs> Don't have to ask me twice. <laughs> All right. Thank Perfect. You. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Bye. Um, join, us, join us next time for more creative chat. Bye.